back. It's episode 24 of The Build, which comes several weeks after episode 23 of The Build, which is not ideal, but I'll explain why. Um, so first of all, hope you're well. Um, hope you're enjoying the last few weeks without hockey because that's about to step up in a major way over the next few weeks. I know the rookie tournament is coming up, which I'm not all that interested in if I can be quite honest, but um, the Canadians preseason's right around the corner. End of September, they start playing games. Um, so enjoy your last few <laughs> evenings that are free from hockey because it's going to start up sooner rather than later. Um, I had planned on taking the rest of the summer off um, to prepare for my wedding, which is in uh, 11 days from now, which is weird to say out loud. Um, but then, you know, news started happening again. The Kirby Doc signing came in and I was like, eh, it's one contract. I can't do a whole podcast episode about that. It's not worth putting it together. And then the Primo contract came in and I was like, even those two things together, probably not enough for an entire podcast. And then the Canadians opened their annual golf tournament this week, which is, I should have known that this was going to fail because that's always the unofficial start to the season for the Montreal Canadiens. All the players come back. They're all in town. Um, and then the news was everything everywhere all at once. So we'll break down the news in that order. And then you probably won't see me again until we have some preseason games in the tank. Um, all right, cool. So we'll start with Kirby Doc. On September 7th, the Canadians signed Kirby Doc to a four-year contract extension. As you know, because it was a while ago now, the cap hit comes in. It's a very strange cap hit. 3.3625. 3.3625. I said that right. Million dollars per season. Um, this is His contract is odd. And it's odd for a few reasons. It's his first contract after his entry-level deal. So he had a three-year entry-level contract. None of it slid. He, you know, he burned those three years as quickly as he possibly could. Um, but even after this four-year deal um, that follows his entry-level contract, he will still be a restricted free agent. And the reasoning behind that is that he has not had enough potential games um, you know, and potential games are games where you, you know, could have played in an NHL arena wearing an NHL jersey within one of the 82 games for that team. Um, if you are injured, I believe those count most of the time. This is one of those instances where it won't count because the injury he suffered was not something he suffered during an NHL game, you know, with relation to NHL ice anything like that. He he suffered, a, I believe, a wrist injury at the 2021 World Juniors. Um, I, I think it was even like in, in a prelim. It wasn't even in a regular game. Like it was just in a pre-tournament game. Um, because that injury happened away from any NHL involvement, the games he missed did not count towards his potential NHL games. So the long and short of that is that when his four-year deal expires, he's still going to be a restricted free agent, which is good news for the Montreal Canadiens because they essentially... Yes, you have him for four years, but with that RFA year, you know that you have first dibs at potentially having more years of Kirby Doc. Um, the general consensus when this signing was announced was a positive one. F uh, you know, people, I think by and large, are really buying, they're buying in on the potential of Kirby Doc. And I think because of your, you know, if you're really high on Kirby Doc and you're buying in on whatever it is that he's going to be able to do for the Canadians, 
you've probably become comfortable with that cap hit and that term. Um, he's, I think he's only 21, and he was drafted as an 18-year-old. Yeah, he's only 21 years old. And I get that line of reasoning. I understand that. And if that's how you feel about the signing, I think that's entirely fair and sound. I, I do want to... I want to talk a little bit about the expectations that are set out ahead of Kirby Doc here. Um, the one thing I will disagree with outright is the idea, well, even if he ends up being a third-line center, the contract is fine. Um, and I think that will be true when that salary cap goes up, because that would probably make him more comfortably a third-line center. That's about what they're making anyway. Like, I, like you know, I'm not, I'm not complaining about the cap hit if he's a third-line center. I think more so we're complaining about you know, if he's a third line center at the end of this, we're, we're going, we traded, um, you know, we traded Romanov and got the 13th overall pick and then flipped that with other picks involved to get this player. I think that, you know, generally speaking, if he ends up being a third line center, you're probably looking at this and going, eh, he probably didn't pan out the way that we thought he would. Again, he was a third overall pick. That's important when taking into account what his potential ceiling is. Um, and also, you know, considering what his play um, makes him out to be throughout the rest of his career. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about Doc and the idea of potential when it comes to prospects or young NHL players. And I'm going to put this in the lens, very in a very timely way, um, in, in the lens of fantasy football. I play in a league with my friends. I've been playing for a few years now. I'm sort of obsessed with it. I consume a lot of fantasy football content. I spend a lot of time on the Sleeper app looking, you know, looking through, um, you know, potential waiver ads. I probably did about 30 or 40 mock drafts before doing my actual draft this year. Um, and one of the concepts that I keep hearing when I when I was building my fantasy team and like doing research about fantasy football is what it's what's called a range of potential outcomes. Essentially, what's this player's floor? What is their ceiling? How far apart are those two items? And, you know, how confident are we that this player is going to fit within those range of outcomes? Um, you know, so a player could have a really large range of outcomes. They could be a 75-point player or they could be a 25-point player. You know, that's a, that would be a risky player to to take into any kind of fantasy lineup because you you know at least you know when you're spending a high draft capital on them right like you feel a lot more comfortable taking that kind of player later in drafts than you would with your first pick because it it, it could it could completely tank your your team if that player doesn't perform um so like let's say you can have a player with a small range of outcomes and all of those outcomes have them producing at an at a league average level or you can have the player that I just kind of talked about with a really big range of outcomes where the basement is fourth line production and the high end is like 65 points. Who are you going with? There's no right or wrong answer to this. It's just, a, a, I think, a test to, it's a test of how risk averse you are. Um, so bringing this back to Doc, I think Kirby Doc has a very wide range of outcomes, of potential outcomes. I think he's the latter. He's something like that that latter option that I gave, where he could be a sixty-five point player this year, or he could be really, really low in the lineup as far as 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 you know point production goes. Um, 
he's he hasn't really produced yet in his NHL career. I think his highest point value was like 25 or 26 points. Um, he's had a lot of injuries. He's played on some really, really bad Chicago Blackhawks teams. Um, I think a lot of people are doing that thing where you look at where they were drafted and you go, this player is going to be really good because he was drafted third overall. And if that's how you are seeing this, I would like to gesture towards the last 10 years of the Montreal Canadiens because that's been their whole thing. Alex Galchenyuk, third overall, didn't pan out. They acquired Jonathan Drouin, who was a third overall pick, didn't pan out. They drafted Jesperi Kotkaniemi, third overall. Jury's still out on whether or not he will pan out. I don't think he will ever be a player that was worth taking third overall, but he's not here anymore anyway. Um, I think that this is a contract that I want to see. I want to see Kirby Doc evolve. I want to see what he's actually going to become as an NHL player. I have someone who I know is really close with the Blackhawks. Um, I shouldn't say close with the organization, but he, he, you know, he's within that market. He followed them for a very long time and wrote about them for a very long time. He he sees Doc kind of as a winger. Um, we'll see how well he's able to come into Montreal and play that center ice role. I've seen, but at the same time, I've seen things to the contrary. Jack Hahn seems to love how he plays up the middle of the ice. Um, he'd like to see him use his, his, his size a little bit more, um, uh, as I think everyone would want to see a six foot four hockey player do. Um, but that optimistic view that fans have of him being that second line center for Montreal, I think it's well within the range of potential outcomes. It might even be the most realistic outcome given the opportunity he has in front of him. He's Montreal. There's, there's, they're not hurting for forwards this year. I think most of them are going to come in and be healthy. He might have a guy like Mike Hoffman who he can dish the puck to and maybe pump up Mike Hoffman's value a little bit. He might have Uri Slavkovsky on his wing. He might have a variety of different players who can help him become a more consistent producer at the NHL level. Um, so I think, you know, that that optimistic view that I think a lot of people are taking, I don't think it's wrong. I, I think that it's, it's definitely... A potential outcome here and not one that is completely off the board um so I'm gonna wait and see on this one I think he's gonna be a fascinating player to watch this season I think he's one of those guys who were were kind of after game one like are picking apart every shift that he played um so we'll see um the day after Kirby Doc signs the Canadians inked goaltender Caden Primo to a three-year deal within $890 cap, $890,000 cap hit per season. Um, again, there's some interesting contract quirks here that I think reveal a little bit of the thinking that the Canadians have not only this season, but what the, the, the future in net for the Montreal Canadiens. This is a one-way deal that pays him the same amount of money at the NHL and AHL level. So I feel it's important to bring this up. I'm not the only one who uses this, you know, teaching point but what you learned in the ea sports nhl games about one-way and two-way contracts is a lie <laughs> you know a two-way contract does not mean that a player can be sent up and down on waivers without um you know or up and down with the between the nhl and the ahl without waivers what determines that waivers eligibility is experience in the league games played that are you know NHL experience 
what this means is that Caden Primo can can be sent down to the AHL because he is still waivers exempt, and he will get paid the same amount of money in the NHL as he does in the AHL. When he gets demoted, he does not lose money. When he gets promoted, he does not earn more money, um, which I think is important because you can bury a contract. I think it's if it's a million bucks or less in the AHL, and it doesn't count against your salary cap, which is important. Because you look at the salary breakdown year by year, and it becomes a little revealing. The Yes, the cap hit is $890,000 per season, but the cap hit is always average annual value. The salary breakdown by year, in year one, he's making seven hundred dollars In year two, eight hundred dollars And in year three, $1.1 million. So we'll get to that in a second. But again, he's still waivers exempt at this point in his career, meaning he can be sent down to Laval without being claimed. And unless he absolutely steals the show in camp, that likely means he's headed to Laval to be the starting goaltender for the Rocket this year because Sam Montembeau can't go down without waivers. Jake Allen's probably the starter. Like, I don't think that's... I'm breaking new ground there. Um, and honestly, it's probably the best case scenario for Primo to go down to the AHL in a season where he doesn't have to be part of a circus in Montreal and just try to win hockey games with a pretty talented Laval Rocket team. Um, and with this deal, I think, you know, we'll have a pretty good idea of what Primo is capable of by the end of it. Um, he's still an RFA at the end of it. Sam Montembeau is making a million bucks for the next two years. And what you look at that, Primo is making under a million bucks for the next two seasons, meaning he can be buried in the minors entirely. And it likely makes him only an injury call-up this season because of the Canadians' cap situation. They're in really dire straits when it comes to the salary cap. Um, in year three of Primo's deal, Montembeau's deal expires. Their cap hits are nearly identical. Primo makes will make 100K, diff, 100K more than Montembeau's making. And then that would kind of put him in line to be the backup or potentially the starter at that point. Um, according to Kevin Weeks, the Canadians are in talks with Jake Allen on a contract extension. So maybe it's the idea that in three years, you know, maybe year three, Montembeau is the, or, or I should say Primo is the backup, Allen's the starter, and then Primo gets a new deal and he becomes the starter. Um, that's within the range of outcomes, not to reuse that that too much i'll try not to do that um so it doesn't take a ton of sleuthing to to notice that the canadians likely expect primo to be at least an nhl backup by year three of this contract and you know i think that's what they look at as the floor of what his abilities are um and again we'll kind of be able to parse more of that together once jake allen's deal if that's true comes to fruition um because, you know, like I said before, at the end of year three, I think the Canadians should have a pretty good idea of where they are with um, Caden Primo. Um, they are, with all of those deals, they are barely under the salary cap. Um, they essentially, because of, once again, Carey Price News being buried as a footnote to, you know, players being signed. Um, the Canadians are able to sign both Primo and Kirby Doc because Price is headed to LTIR. Um, they're basically using almost every, every single last cent of it 
There's not a ton of money left to go around. If they want to add to this roster somehow, it's dollar in, dollar out. Um, but again, it's like I said, it seems like Carey Price updates are being added as a footnote to, uh, you know, other transactions. Um, you know, they seem like the medium in which Kent Hughes is like, by the way, here's where Carey Price is, which is frustrating because we kind of want to see a better send off. Um, but I do understand it because I think it, I think it helps show that Kent Hughes isn't just sitting on his hands waiting for stuff to happen. Um, he has, it's very clear to me that he's had plans on how to spend the Canadians cap dollars. And in order to do so, he needed to wait until they got some kind of feedback on Carey Price. Um, and the second that that was clear, he kicked a lot of these plans in motion. Um, I think Kent Hughes right now is only being inhibited by the salary cap. And, you know, I think that's, I think that's important to note because in years past, you know, not, not too long ago, the Canadians were sitting around with $9 million in cap space every season. And it made no sense. We sat around wondering like, why isn't this being spent? We're wasting, you know, the primes of careers here. Um, Kent Hughes doesn't have that luxury, but it seems like he still has things he wants to do and he's doing his best to do cap shenanigans to figure that out. I still don't love it. Um, like I said, I think it stinks that this is the send-off he's getting now, but they did mention at the golf tournament that he will be hanging around the team this season, um, which I think will be good for them. Like To have him as a voice um, in Montreal, I, I, I can't help but think like maybe one day he's the, the goaltending coach for the Canadians. Um, maybe he just wants to disappear into the woods. I can't blame him. Um, but speaking of that golf tournament, let's talk about that golf tournament. Um, that was that started on Monday morning. Um, it's always the unofficial start to the Canadian season. All the players are back in town. There's media. Um, you know, it's sometimes it's the f- it, it's the first time that they get to talk to some of the new players in person. Um, it's it's usually very light. Like you know, even when in the past, when you know situations with the Canadians were seemingly a lot more dire than they are now. Um, it's, it's still very light. Guys are laughing, having a good time. It's the last, you know, big part of their summer before they get back to work. Um, I also feel like it's the equivalent of like the first day of spring training in baseball where all these guys show up and they talk about how they're in the best shape of their lives. Like, like Brennan Gallagher, he feels great. Okay, great. They always say they feel great. Um, one thing from this, from the media availabilities, you know, at the, 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 golf tournament that was kind of difficult to parse out were the, the expectations the Canadians have for themselves this season. And thanks to friend of the show, Kay, um, for asking me for my opinion on this. That means a lot. Um, there were three sound bites that really stuck out. And I think Arpen Basu did a great job of, of linking these three together um, in a Twitter thread. Um, so I'll, I'll just say them in the exact order that he tweeted them out. Um, the first one is from Joel Edmondson. He says, rebuilding. That was last year. We're ready to take the next step. Um, we have no excuse not to make the playoffs. That's our mindset, making the playoffs. Um, the next quote is from Marty St. Louis. Honestly, I don't know if we're in a rebuild or not. Expectations can change over the course of the season. Um, and then I think uh, he doesn't have the he doesn't have the um, the Ken Hughes quote, but I remember it was essentially we we want to win every night. 
but we're not going to sacrifice um, the, the, the future of our prospects in order to win. Um, so three very, very different expectations for what the 2022-23 Canadians are supposed to be. Um, it doesn't really seem like there's a unified front there, and I think the Canadians are okay with that. I know, like, personally, I'm okay with that. Um, and the reason is that, like, we, we have three different points of view here. Um, I'll start with, with Edmondson. Players hate losing. We know this. Um, every, every player that steps into an NHL dressing room in spring, tra- er, spring training, in training camp, should go into it with the expectation that they're going to make the playoffs. Because anything less than that is a failure. Um, this, this league, it, there's so much parity. Um, there's no reason that a team in this league should go into a, a dressing room and say, we're not even going to try tonight. And that's what makes like the Coyotes of it all very frustrating. Or like the year that, that Buffalo tanked their pants off for, for uh, Connor McDavid and it didn't even work. Um, so from that, I understand that from a player's perspective. And also Edmondson, you know, he's an older guy, um, an older guy, an older player, I should say. He's not ancient. He's like in his early thirties. Um, he's won a cup, but I think, you know, part of him starts to look ahead and see that there's not, you know, he, he's starting to wonder how much time he's got left in this league. You know, there's not a lot of time to just kick around and, and rebuild when you're a player. Like we got to get, we got to get moving. I want to win another cup. So that I completely understand. From the coach's perspective, Murray St. Louis, you know, he said that expectations can change over the course of a season, which I think again is fair, right? Because, you know, we have far different expectations for the Canadians when they're on the second half of a back-to-back playing the Colorado Avalanche as we do, you know, if they're coming off the bye week playing the Arizona Coyotes, right? Like those are different expectations we have for how this team will produce. Um, I think that, you know, Marty St. Louis wants to get into camp with these guys. He's never coached a training camp before. Um, he he needs to see what he has here. There's a lot of new pieces. I don't think he knows what his expectations are for this team because he, he hasn't seen them play. And they'll be without Carey Price yet again. They'll be without Jeff Petrie yet again. Or Jeff Petrie. Well, yeah, they will be without Jeff Petrie, but I mean Shea Weber. A lot of leadership has gone out. They've added a leader. I'll get to that in a minute. But I don't think that's out of, you know, I don't think that's out of line for St. Louis to say, I don't really know what our expectations are. And I think that they shift on a day-to-day basis and we will deal with them on a day-to-day basis. Um, because I think that kind of goes along with what Kent Hughes said. You know, Kent Hughes says they want to win. They want to try, they want to try to win every single night, but they won't do it at the cost of the future. You know, his responsibility is to the long-term health of this organization. Everything else, you know, whether or not they win in a shootout against New Jersey on a random Tuesday night, like, it, it, each individual game is not a huge blip in the radar when it comes to how a general manager functions his team. It shouldn't, because if you have a guy who, you know, you lose two straight games and he's starting to to fire up the, the, you know, the trades between, you know, rival teams. Like, Hey, this guy's not working. I'm getting rid of him. You don't want that. You want a coach who is looking at things from a holistic approach. So I think 
with the context of what each of these guys are saying, you know, the difference of opinions makes sense. And, and I think better fills out what this Canadians team is. It's, you know, there are some players on this team who have been around a while. They want to win. They're sick and tired of losing. I, I am too, honestly. The coach is a brand new coach. He coached half a season. He's never had a, a, a training camp where he gets to fully put in whatever system they want to play in. He hates that word. Whatever structure they want to play in. Um, and then you have a GM who's still trying, I think still trying to get this team back on track. I don't think they're done tearing this down. I think there's still bodies to be moved out. There's some thoughts today that, that Joel Edmondson is, is being called about. Not that he's being shopped, not that Hughes wants to move him, but that teams are calling about him. If he could get some kind of return that looks anywhere close to the Ben Schrott return, that would be fantastic. But I don't think that's a move they're making until the trade deadline this year or maybe next year because he's got two years left. Um, so I think all of that makes sense. I know, Kay, I'll speak to you directly. You know, I know you were kind of nervous or, you know, it was off, off, not off-putting, but it was odd that there wasn't a unified front here. And I get it. It is odd because we're used to the last organization who everything was buttoned up. Everything was in place. Nothing stepped out of line. That was how that old team ran. I think this new team has to grow into a little bit of baby fat and figure out what it is. Figure out what Chunky does, as as I think you should leave, uh, has, has pointed out. So... I think that I'll leave that part there, um, and we'll move on to the rest of the golf tournament. There were two more big pieces of news. I'm going to start with the thing that sucks the most to talk about, get it out of the way. You won't hear it again on this podcast, I promise. And then we'll leave on the really good news, because I don't want to leave you guys with a sour note. Um, and I think that was the Canadians' intention as well, because that's the order in which they, they did these. Um, so first... The Canadians have a jersey sponsor. Um, announced Monday morning, right before the other big news, the Canadians put out a press release showing off their new jersey ad right on, on top of the player's right shoulder, um, or, or I should say the right portion of their chest um, that was bought and paid for by RBC, Royal Bank of Canada. Um, it's on the side of the jersey opposite the leadership uh, patch, so the C or the A, it takes up about as much real estate as those, and it's blue and yellow, and it sticks out real bad. Um, you know, the other jersey ads we've seen, you know, you can go look them up, but they kind of have blended into the jersey a little bit better um, to the point where, like, they're not even really, I don't even really think they're all that bad, honestly. This one's really stinky. Like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work at all. Um, no attempt by, was made by the Canadians to replicate that sort of look and feel to this jersey ad um which is a shame you know i think we all kind of knew this was coming um it didn't need to happen which i'll talk about um but you know as a jersey collector it's not that big of a deal because the jerseys that we'll buy as consumers will not have the ads on them unless you get like a game issued game used stuff which i don't i'm not interested in and that's such like a 0.01% of this of this hobby, you know, so I'm not bothered on a I have to buy this stuff level. It's more I'm very, I'm very sad on a on a cultural level 
for what happened with this jersey ad. Um, I'm I'm very upset with Jeff with Jeff Molson. Um, I everybody out here going this is the worst thing that's happened. Everybody shut up. Like it's not. To everybody saying there's worse things that have happened. Please stop doing that too. Just let people be in their feelings, but also like don't go bother the Canadian social media staff over this. You guys are being weirdos. Um, Jeff Molson, when he was asked about it, because of course he was going to be asked about it. Um, he's the, the thing that he immediately said was that this is something that every team in the league, all 32 teams in the league agreed on, which is that Jersey ads should be allowed. And he's right. 32 teams did agree on that. This is not, however, a mandate. The Habs subreddit weeks ago had this response when there was like, a leak of some kind of jersey announcement and they were like all of the ads are mandatory you have to have a jersey ad that was never true you do not need to have a jersey ad it is entirely up to the teams themselves to decide what they put on their jerseys and the reason why we know that's true is that the Edmonton Oilers announced recently that they were not going to have a jersey ad this season so the Canadians did not need to do this um so that's one reason to be a little peeved by what Jeff Molson had to say. And the second reason, I think, is a lot more subtle. Um, Jeff Molson, I don't think he thinks of the Canadians as as anything more than one of 32 teams in the NHL. And that's a, that's a legitimate problem. Um, if you're the owner of the team and you think the Canadians jersey is just one of 64 uniforms in the NHL, I think we've lost the plot. Like... They're not writing children's books about Florida Panthers jerseys or New, Jer- New Jersey Devils jerseys or Winnipeg Jets jerseys. They're just not like to 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 just say, well, every all of these other cities that have no that that only wish to have the cultural impact as the Montreal Canadiens, all of the all of them, they, they think this is fine. So I think it's fine. For the owner to get in front of a microphone and hide behind the other 31 teams in the league and essentially insinuate that he had no choice in the matter was not only wrong, it's it's disrespectful to fans. Like, we're not stupid. Jeff Molson is richer than God. He has a net worth estimated very close to $2 billion. The Montreal Canadiens print money when it's not a pandemic. And I understand that that was the past. And I understand that there's escrow to play to, to pay. But that I go back and listen to the last two episodes of this show. I can't remember which one it was. It was a very long time ago. I'm sorry. It was probably the one before Scott. So do the one before Scott. You'll probably hear it. I talked a lot about escrow in that one. I went and did a whole bunch of research on what escrow is and, you know, that it is going to be paid off within the next few years. And then once it's paid off, the salary cap is going to go up and teams are going to be allowed to spend more money. I have everyone's, you know, whenever we're talking about whenever we talked about the helmet ads or we talked about the jersey ads, the thought has always been, well, you know, escrow, this helps with escrow. Has anyone made any kind of concrete argument that that's what's being helped here? That that the the ads on the jerseys will somehow lower the amount the, the time it takes to pay off the owners because remember that's what escrow is. It is money that 
the pay the players essentially owe to the owners. I don't think that that's how this works. And I have not been, it has not been displayed to me in any meaningful case that, that that's what this is being used to do. I, 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 until proven otherwise, I cannot be convinced that this serves any other purpose than corporate greed. And escrow's going away in a few years, regardless of what happens, as long as we don't have another catastrophic global pandemic. I do not think that they're making any significant change to that escrow with the with the logo on the jersey. And by the way, that logo, that that ad on the jersey, I hope the Canadians like if if they got paid the same amount that the Capitals did for their jersey ads, I think they have like Caesar Sportsbook on there or whatever. The Canadians got fleeced because the jersey, the ad that's on the Canadians jersey is the most obtrusive one. I'm not saying that as a purist. I'm not saying that as, you know, nothing can go on the Canadians jersey. I bought the blue one two years ago, right? Like, like you can do other things with the jersey. It's not that it's like, it's the, it, it's not the image of it that I'm concerned about. It's the fact that like, it's, 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 it sticks out really bad. They could have done so many different things with it that would have been, people would have been like, eh, that's gross, but okay. Like the fact that it's just like this huge it, it just, it sticks out so bad. And the last thing I want to talk about on this, and I promise it's the last thing I'll talk about on this, is what I think this means, you know, with relation to a lot of things that we've seen over the, the last, over last season, and, you know, I think it was 2015. Um, in my wallet, I carry around a little black circle with a white number four on it. That's the same little black circle that the Canadians wore on their uniforms when John Beliveau passed away. And that's a very similar circle, black circle with the white number 10 on it, was worn on their sweater this spring when Guy Lafleur passed away. And that ad is right where those patches were. I, I, if you don't care about jersey ads, fine. The optics of that are embarrassing. Legitimately embarrassing. That we went from a memorial for Guy Lafleur on that same spot on the sweater to being sold out to RBC. Like, it's frustrating. It's frustrating that that's, you know, that that's what, that's what we're doing with... We see that that space... Is those things are equal in that space? That should that should frustrate you. If for not if if the jersey ads don't bother you that like if they put it on the shoulder it might have been better. It's right where those patches were, man. Like that that should matter to you. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lecture you, but that matters a lot to me, and I understand why it matters a lot to other people that the Canadians are not just one of 32 teams that they have cultural significance and that this is this this runs completely contrary to everything that we were told this team was. So that's all. I'm going to leave that there. We can chew on that. Uh, but now on to the much brighter note. And we'll end on that brighter note. Um, across from that patch, I mentioned the, the, the C and the A patches. Um... 
Well, they're putting that seed to use already as the Canadians um, have named a successor to Carey Price. Or Carey Price. Yeah, kind of. Shea Weber. Um, Nick Suzuki is now the 31st captain of the Montreal Canadiens. He's the youngest to do so, and he also becomes the second player of East Asian heritage to be named captain following the great Paul Correa. Um, the, the Canadians front office said they wanted, they, they were going to have a captain. Um, they have a captain and I think they, this is a real home run pick for the Canadians. Um, you know, we've seen Nick Suzuki kind of come into his own in Montreal. Um, I, I still remember when he came into camp the first time and they sent him back down to junior, he wasn't wearing 14 cause Placanitz was still here. He was wearing the number 88. Um, and then, you know, he, he went back to junior, he got traded, um, he went on a run in junior, he, he played, I think he played at the World Juniors that year, and I remember him not being all that good, and I, I think Mark Bergevin, you know, and the Canadians, they went and talked to him, and they kind of were like, hey, you gotta, you kind of gotta get it together here, um, they told him things he had to work on, you know, and then really since he's gotten to Montreal, he's been a regular, he, he, you know, he's, especially this last season where he played every game, like he's one of the most constant things about the Montreal Canadiens right now. That's kind of, you know, one of the biggest reasons for it, for him being named captain, right? It's like he's kind of inseparable with the image of the Canadians at this point. Um, there are some concerns. Maybe some of them are valid, but let's parse them out because they're, they're not that difficult to find. Um, there's the, he's a bit young, isn't he? Uh, sort of criticism of this and I said yeah he he's young he's he's only 23 um, he's going into his first contract that isn't his entry-level deal it's an eight-year contract he's making a boatload of money but take away the age for a second and think of the things that Nick Suzuki has already seen in his NHL career um, he was traded in both the OHL and the NHL his contract rights were traded in the NHL when he was still in junior um, he had a coming out party for the Canadians in that pandemic bubble. He scored some real big goals for Montreal in really key moments. Um, he was an incredibly important player on the Canadians when they went on their run to the cup final. Probably, I would say he was probably the third most important Canadian behind Weber and Price. Uh, fourth, probably behind Deneau. I forgot about Phil. Um, Last season, he was the brightest light on the team that finished dead last. He played in every game. He set a career high in points. He was an NHL All-Star. He, he, he cleared his previous career high in points by 20. Um, Nick Suzuki has seen a lot of highs and a lot of lows in his career. And throughout all of it, he's just been Nick Suzuki. Like, he's he, he is how he comes. Um I think he's about as experienced as a 23-year-old can be. You know, age, to me, is not an indicator of success or experience. It's the stuff that you did. Um, I think, you know, through all of that, he's one of the most even-keeled hockey players I've seen. Um, he he has a little bit of that, like, Carey Price, ice in your veins sort of thing. Like, he just, nothing seems to bother him. Um you know, there were, I think there was like a hit in the um, in the Vegas series where he got popped coming over the blue line, and he just got up and skated away. You know, he doesn't he doesn't mess around a whole lot. He took the hit, got up, skated away, played the rest of the game. Thought he looked pretty good. Um, 
this is a player who I think everything in his career has led up to this moment. Every player who's left Montreal recently has said Nick Suzuki is going to be the captain of the Canadians. Um, Matthew Perot said it. Uh, ben Sherratt said it when he was traded. This, None of this seemed out of place, um, even for a 23-year-old. The, the second bit of criticism is, well, what about Brennan Gallagher? And I'll be honest, Brennan Gallagher also would have been a fine pick. And I could even see the argument to be made for Joel Edmondson, both of whom, whom will wear A's for the team next season and probably be pretty integral parts of Nick Suzuki's learning as the captain. Um, and I, while they are good picks, both of those guys would have been fine. I think the reasoning behind those behind not picking either of those is simple. Gallagher's got five years left on his deal. Edmondson's got two. Suzuki's here for eight years. And in those eight years, he's expected to continue to improve. Gallagher and Edmondson, I think their best hockey's probably behind them. It's not to say they're bad players. It's just the aging curve of NHL guys. And it's tough in a Montreal market to balance that, you know, declining production with also being the captain of the team. I just, I don't think that that's something that a lot of players can handle. Um, Nick Suzuki, like... If, if we can be honest with ourselves for a second, like if in six years from now, 61 points is still the, the high watermark for Suzuki and he's been healthy the entire time, we're probably not all that thrilled with the contract, right? Um, but like if in six years from now, Gallagher and Edmondson are holding at the same level of play, you're probably shocked by that fact. Um, so I think that that's, that's part of it is like this is Suzuki's team. They're building it around him. He, this team is going to go as far as Nick Suzuki takes them, right? That sort of, that, 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 you know, torch was handed to him by Carey Price in the sense that the other, the old Canadians would go as far as Carey Price would take them. I think you can make that argument for Nick Suzuki at this point in their careers. Um, and then there's this, this, this part of all of this that's been very frustrating. Um, you know, it was, uh, I laughed at, at Arpan Basu's tweet. He said, um, you know, in retrospect, it probably wasn't a great idea to name a Canadian's captain in the middle of a of an election cycle in Quebec, which is exactly what happened. Um, it, it, what, it, it did not play out very well uh, media-wise. Um, not to any fault of Suzuki or the Canadians, but we'll just get into it. So Suzuki's first words as the captain of the Montreal Canadiens were in French. Now... It sounded like my French, which isn't great, but it was French nonetheless. Um, he says he's taking lessons again in his free time, and he does remember some of it from school, but obviously it's not fluent for him, which is fine. He also adds that he's better at reading and writing it than speaking it, which I completely get because that's how I am. I can read it a whole lot better than I, you know, it, <laughs> the, the bit from Billy Madison where that he's being taught a different language and it cuts over to him and he goes, slow down. And then he just does the same thing again, just as fast. And then he goes, Oh, okay. Like it's that I have no idea what people are saying when they're speaking in French. Um, the fact that he's making an effort should be enough, which is the same that I said for Jeff Gordon, who said he would try. Um, he, Jeff Gordon also added that he's been trying to get better at golf for decades and that hasn't gone well, but he's trying. 
I think Jeff Gordon is a very funny man, and he's he's very good at at you know using that humor to cut tension. Um, but of course, as Arpan Basu said, there's an election going on in, in Quebec at the moment, and you know we saw a lot of quotes come out about Quebec politicians saying essentially he needs to learn French. the The captain of the Canadians needs to learn French. Which, it's funny, like, that was never something that we read about Shea Weber, and to our knowledge, he never even attempted to learn. Um, you know, and, and again, not something he needs to do. I'm not, that's not a shot at him. It's just not something he did, I don't think. Um, you know, I'm begging everybody to stop interacting with those, because it's what they want you to do. Um, the internet's like quicksand in that sense. The, the, the harder you struggle with it, the more you fight it, the, the, the more it pulls you in. Um. I'm not completely up to date on Quebec politics. I can hardly handle the ones in my own country, and I have a degree that says American studies on it. So, you know, if that's any indication of how tapped in on this I am, there it is. But I don't think that the politics here are all that different. Um, politics have just become a stage for culture wars in a lot of aspects. Um, you know, the, the Republican Party in the States is very much, you know, just fighting the idea of wokeism, even though like that doesn't, you know, that doesn't fix our broken healthcare system or, or get people, get homeless people off the streets. Like it, it, it just, that's just the, the hill they've chosen to die on, but at least they're dead. You know what I mean? Um, this, this is a very, a, this is a very important culture war in Quebec. Like the, the, that politicians want to attach themselves to, they want to attach themselves to this because it's something that, you know, it, when people go and Google Nick Suzuki captain, they're going to find these quotes. And that's all they really want to do is attach themselves to a Boolean phrase that will get their faces on your phone. Um, it's opportunism, honestly. Anthony Jeselnik is a comedian who I, I'm i not vouching for a lot of the, the things that he's said. It's a lot of it, I think, in my opinion, goes over the line. However... He has one bit um, where he talks about thoughts and prayers whenever a tragedy happens. And it's essentially that whenever you read a post from someone you know on Facebook or Twitter that says thoughts and prayers with those affected after a tragedy, you know what they're really saying? What they're saying is, don't forget about me today. That's what all of these politicians are doing with regards to the Nick Suzuki captaincy. Is That's the biggest news in the province. And they are attaching themselves to it. Um, it's just dudes who are trying to find their way onto your feed. It works. It sucks that it works, but it works. Um, it's not a problem that's going away anytime soon in Quebec, so it's going to continue to work. But we also don't need to engage with it. And I think that's where I'll leave that. So for Suzuki, he's got a lot of work ahead of him. Um, he's going to need to be the main pillar of, of the culture in that locker room. He's leaving... Or I should say, he's filling in big shoes left behind by Price and Weber. He has to, you know, he has to find a way to have the room adopt his never too high, never too low mindset. Because I think that's that's going to help this team move forward, and that's why I think he's such a great leader for them. Um, Gallagher's still going to be Gallagher. He's still going to get on the ice and look like he's running through a brick wall. Um, that is uniquely important to the Canadians as well to show, you know, young guys who are coming in that you're not, you're not taking shifts off. 
Um, but I think, you know, from a, from a more holistic standpoint, the Canadians need somebody who can, you know, essentially rebuild the culture in a locker room. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot of pressure to put on a, a, a dude who, you know, I don't know, 23 is young, man. I'm, I'm 27. My back hurts all the time. You know, like, I just can't imagine, like, the pressure that he's under. But I just don't think it's going to bother him. He seems like the most uniquely qualified person to, to handle this situation. And I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see the Canadians under him. I think it's the first, it's a really, really big step in this team moving forward. Um, and kind of moving on from the last era of the Canadians. This is, these are the Nick Suzuki Canadians now. It's exciting. It's scary, but it's exciting. Um, and with that, I'll leave you guys. Um, likely the last show for a little bit. I'm getting married in 11 days, as I said. Um, look for episodes to pick back up after some preseason games are in the bag. Um, I'm leaving at, again at the end of October. I'll be off. Actually, I'll probably only miss one week, come to think of it, um, for the honeymoon. And then we'll be back into the swing of things for the season. Um, I'm still private on Twitter at maybe it's Ian. I'll be honest. I'm trying to get a new job. I'm doing pretty well. The interviews are going well. Um, so I'll be out of that eventually. But, you know, thanks for listening. You won't be able to retweet me unfortunately but appreciate you listening and following um the music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing now is inside by fred mug click the link in the description to go to his bandcamp page to check out the rest of his stuff all right guys thanks again for listening and i'll uh, see you when i see you take care